Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, the time in your word this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to just break bread and uh, just ask that you take the things that you have shown me and allow me to communicate them as you have um, have prepared me as you see fit. Lord, allow each person to hear, uh, to learn as guided by the Holy Spirit, that this is not an exercise of the flesh, but an exercise of of, uh, of listening to the Holy Spirit. And thank you for uh, your just your grace. Thank you for allowing us to minister in different aspects. And, and uh, we just ask for your watch care over this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, continuing our study in the tabernacle. Now, uh, there's the parallel narrative. So the design and the build, the design process that we're going to talk about today in the curtain, I'm sorry, the court rather, uh, and the, uh, the, the, the structure of, of the courtyard um, is uh, listed in Exodus 27, 9 through 19. Now, there's a lot of content there. And when you do a word-by-word comparison of Exodus 27 with what we're going to look at in Exodus 38, it's very, very similar. Uh, the, the, the nuances are, are very, very small. Um, so we're actually going to just focus on the build side of it uh, today. And he made the court. So again, that's, that's part of the difference is the court is made as compared to the design, right? But I think this is on your page. And he made the court on the south side... Um, uh, sorry, on the south side, uh, southward, the hangings of the court were of um, twined linen, fine twined linen, 100 cubits, and their pillars were 20, and their brazen sockets 20. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the north side, the hangings were 100 cubits, their pillars were 20, and their sockets of brass 20. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver and for the west side were hangings, um, yeah, were hangings of fifty cubits. Their pillars ten, and their sockets ten. The hooks and pillars and their fillets of silver, and continue on. And for the east side, eastward, uh, fifty cubits. The hangings of one side of the gate were fifteen cubits. Their pillars three, and their sockets three. And for the other side of the uh, of the court gate. On this hand and that hand were hangings of 15 cubits, their pillars three and their sockets three. All of the hangings of the court round, uh, round about were of fine twine linen. And the sockets for the pillars were of brass, the hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver, and the overlaying of their chapters of silver, and all the pillars of the court were filleted with silver. And the hanging for the gate of the court was needlework of blue, of purple, and scarlet, and fine twine linen. And 20 cubits was the length and the height and the breadth was five cubits, answerable to the hangings of the court. And their pillars were four and their sockets of brass four, their hooks of silver and their overlaying of their chapters and the fillets of silver and all the pillets, uh, pens of the tabernacle and the court were uh, roundabout were of brass. So again, can be kind of heavy text. You know, there's a lot going on, so we'll, we'll spend some time breaking it down. But this is all just the description of the courtyard that is created by this additional kind of t- fencing almost that goes, that goes around. So let's, let's break down at least the sides for a moment, right? On the north and the south side, these are the longer sides of the, um, of the, uh, of the tabernacle court, 
they were made of fine linen. We know that. There were 100 cubits long, 20 pillars on a side, silver hooks and fillets. And so if you remember, the hooks would be the things that the uh, rods or the fillets would, would hang uh, off of. And the fillets would go between each pillar and stabilize them. So if you think of a fence with just a top rail, right? So you've got these posts and you've got this top rail and then the, can, uh, the fine linen would hang off of that, those fillets or those bars, okay? So those bars and the hooks were of silver. But the brass, the bottom were, so, uh, they, or the sockets that went into the ground. Again, that when we looked at the tabernacle allowed for the stability of the pillars and allowed for the, the in, in inconsistency of the, of the ground, those would be made of brass, okay? Now, we, if you remember, silver, picture of redemption, on the redemption of Christ hangs the linen, the righteousness of the saints, and all of that is on brass, which is a picture of judgment. So Christ paid in judgment his, uh, through the redemption, through his uh, purchased blood, and on that hangs the linen, the fine linen of the saints in picture form. Okay. Now on the west, we've got fine linen, 50 cubits, 10 pillars, same silver hooks and fillets, brass sockets, and on the east, the east is the side with the gate. There's, I'm going to have some diagrams here in just a second. But it was fine linen and needlework. It also included the scarlet, the purple, the blue, much like the door, uh, the curtain of the tabernacle that we talked about last week. Now, it's divided up into 15, 20, and 15 cubit segments, or three, four, and three pillars. Again, I'll show you an illustration on that silver chapters, uh, hooks, and fillets. It appears as though these posts had a little more or, uh, ornamentation on them than all of the rest of the pillars, and again, brass sockets. So very similar, but some focus on the gate, okay? Some focus on the gate. Now, each of these pillar numbers are representative of the view from that side. Now my son, architecture, that would be called an elevation view, right? So if you think of an architectural rendering, if you were to look directly at one side, you would only see that side of the court and the tabernacle kind of behind it. You wouldn't see like three-dimensional like this, this, the picture is in our background. Okay, so there's 20 pillars if you view it from, each, from that side, from the south side or the north side. From the east and the west, there's 10 pillars, okay? Because we have three, four, and three adds up to 10, okay? So it's very symmetrical and very structured. Each gap between each pillar is five cubits. And the height, we'll see, of the, of the curtain is five cubits. So each area, the fence panel, if you will, is a square. Each one of them is a square. So let's look at this. This is an overhead. I don't know, and, and I, I've not found it in Scripture. If anybody has um, counsel for me on this, so be it. I'll, I'll take it. There's no definitive measurement that I have seen so far in my studies on where the tabernacle sits within the court. There's several ideas. There's several hypotheses that the front of it would have been at the midline, dividing it into two. That one is a picture of actually of the Old Testament the sacrifices that are done out here. One is picture of the New Testament, the New Testament and the blood on the, on the mercy seat. 
It's a nice illustration. I'm not dogmatic about it. Um, it's certainly possible. I got, so I'm not going to lie. I went a little uh, murder wall. I don't, I don't know. Do you guys know what a murder wall is? Like, like you know, in a movie where the, like they're, like one person's obsessed, obsessed with another person. And they've got like lines and articles and they stretch out like string and stuff. I call it a murder wall. I don't know what the right term is. But like, because it almost always is like not going to go well for the person that's the topic of said obsession. Okay. So I took this and I drew lines that looked like some sort of freaky, I don't know. Beautiful mind. Beautiful mind thing. Like there, it was, I had lines going all different directions. I had moved this and different, trying to figure out like where lines crisscrossed and is that where the mercy seat was and where was the actual divider of the, the veil? And I, I, I did a lot. Like it would got to a point where I was like, dude, stop. <laughs> I had to like shake myself out of it because I think there's something there. And the reason I say that is especially without modern technology of lasers and those sorts of things when building, you know, even levels, people used string or lines all the time. That's even in scripture we see that. Uh, that lines were used to measure for plumb, for distance. And I'm quite certain, or at least just in my own heart, I'm quite certain that I don't know if it's off of this pillar to that pillar marks the northeast corner kind of thing or something. I don't know. There's, but I think there's something there. If you find it, let me know, okay? But this is uh, an overhead representation. All of that was to say I don't know exactly where the tabernacle itself sat, okay? But this is a very, to the extent that uh, I could get it as evenly distributed as possible. I mean, PowerPoint will do that. This is five cubits for each one, okay, down and on the side, okay? So the premise is, if I'm looking, so imagine this is on the ground, right? You're, you're looking at it this way. You appear to have 10, 10 pillars, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. But if you're looking from the north or the south, there's 20. You can count them, but there's 20. Now that means this pillar is actually counted twice, if, you, if that makes sense, okay? So there's not 20, 40, 50, 60 pillars. There's 20, 40, 8, 56 pillars, okay? Which I could not find anything in scripture on what that means. I didn't, I mean, I was, again, sometimes I can go down rabbit trails and down little holes that are not edifying. So again, if you find something, or you, it, it, it'll, it, uh, creates a, a thought in your mind, but the perspective of each side, this is how, and this is very pretty widely accepted that this is the layout, okay? Now, I'm going to move all the way over here and talk about the gate for just a second. The gate, if you can imagine, there were one, two, three pillars on each side, one, two, three, and then you had the four pillars that made up the gate, and the sections, the five, the 15 cubits here that were the gate, okay? And I just added this line for just, just for some perspective, okay? So this would be the area that was the finer needleworked blue, uh, scarlet, purple, and blue that's different than the rest of the curtain, okay? The rest of the, the courtyard, all right? Now, if you were to take this 
and overlay it since it's football season. This is helpful. Is it? Okay. If you were to drop it, it would go from the 25 to the other 25. That's the size, approximately, the size of the courtyard. And it would go from outside the numbers to outside the numbers. This is a a picture of an official sized uh, football. I didn't scale it or anything. I mean, I, I kept the the uh, perspectives on it. So, so it's a little bit, um, so this would probably be a, this would be a college, uh, uh, field with the wider, uh, hash, hash marks. But anyway, that hopefully gives you some perspective of how kind of big the courtyard is around, uh, around the tabernacle. Okay. So this is the picture that I've been using for the background of the slide deck. Okay. This would be, uh, and I, Marshall has a term, but it's a, it's not, a, it's not an elevation. You can see some perspective to it. I think it might actually be called a perspective. But you can see the individual kind of um, curtain-esque components here. Now, these don't look square, but they would be five cubits high by five cubits long based on, uh, based on the, uh, the divisions here. And it would sit, and, it, and I don't think the perspective is quite right on the distance here. Like these seem a little narrow compared to the ones in the back. But the point is, I want you to focus on the gate on the front. You can see the, the area in the front there is a little different than this on either side, okay? Are we tracking just from a log, uh, logistical perspective that, and that, so this is actually going to be the last week that we talk about these structural things that I'm calling them structural. And we're going to start in on the furnishings or the furniture of the tabernacle, which also is beautiful, beautiful picture. Okay. So let's talk for a, a moment about what this court is. It indicates completion. If you have your Bibles, look at Exodus uh, 40 and 40, and I'm going to read 1 through 8, okay? 40, 1 through 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, On the first day of the month, thou shalt set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation, and thou shalt put therein the ark of the testimony and cover the ark with the veil. We talked about the veil before, and we'll talk more about the ark when we get there. And thou shalt bring in the table and set in order the things that are to be set in order upon it. And thou shalt bring in the candlestick and light the lamps thereof. And thou shalt set the altar of gold for incense before the ark of the testimony and put the hanging of the door to the tabernacle. So what we're actually seeing here is the way they're supposed to to actually set up the tabernacle. And thou shalt set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put the hanging of the door to the tabernacle. And thou shalt set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle, the tent of the congregation. So that's the uh, offering outside. And thou shalt set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar and shall put water therein. And then notice in verse eight, and thou shalt set up the court roundabout and hang up the hangings at the court gate. And thou shalt take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle, all that is therein. So literally, this is the last thing that is set up. So you might think that it's, if you were gonna set up, I'm gonna go back a slide. If you were gonna set this up, some people might set up part of this around as they're doing this, but there was a specific order to setting up the tabernacle and setting up this perimeter fence was the last thing, 
Okay? It's the last thing. It indicates a level of completion. Okay? Now, these walls, these kind of fence-like tent walls, were stabilized with uh, pins, stakes, and cords. So Exodus 38, 20 says, And all the pins of the tabernacle and of the court round about were of brass. So they would have, and I'm going to go back, have had some sort of lines coming off. We don't exactly know what those look like. Some sort of cords on the inside and on the outside to stabilize these pillars. Okay. And those cords would have, you know, were, I don't know the material specifically of it, probably of the same linen material would be my guess, just woven into a cord, into a rope, if you will. But specifically, if you notice, and of the court roundabout, those, these pins, the stakes were of brass. Even if we look at Numbers 337 and the pillars of the court roundabout and their sockets and their pins and their cords. So even the setting up of the tabernacle was defined using the cords that would stretch out the overhanging of the tabernacle itself and would stabilize these these uh, these these fences. Now, there's a reason. We've talked about this before. The Lord wants you to be stable. Stability is a thing. These were not held up by magic. They weren't held up by some supernatural force. They were stabilized. And you need to have that stabilization, that stability in your life. There are things that are going to pull at you two directions that are, or, or multiple directions <laughs> that are going to help you in your Christian walk. Right? There's creative tension is, the, is, is one of the psychological terms that is going to keep you on the straight and narrow. There are things that are going to pull you, and sometimes those things are stressful. Like, I don't know how I'm going to fit in all this ministry and my job and my family. But guess what? That's are the things that keep you straight. Okay? And they're going to be pinned to the ground. They're going to create a stability. And we've actually looked at these verses before. But the Lord, through Paul, he wrote multiple times, I want you to be stable. I want you to be established in the earth and in your ministry. That's a thing. That's a thing. I'm not just making this up. This was the nature of the court. If you can imagine trying to run a fence that is just pillars sitting on top of these little sockets for, a, for, for a, the majority of a football field, you could walk over and just push it over. Like, especially in the middle, there had to be something that stabilized these things. There's had to be something that was an external force that was pulling in two opposite directions, creating tension, but creating balance. When you have a life that is only dedicated to one thing, you will be pulled that way and arguably out of balance, okay? So it's really important to keep good balance. It also, so it indicates completion and stability, but it also represents provision. Go ahead and turn over to Leviticus 6 for just a moment. Leviticus 6. Now, we're, we're not, we've touched in Leviticus a few times and we, and we will again uh, as we go through it because Leviticus lays out all the sacrifices and where do the sacrifices take place? At the tabernacle. So it's, it's kind of impossible to split these apart. But notice in Leviticus 6, starting in verse 16, we're going to read 16 and jump down. Um, 
and the remainder thereof. Well, actually, go up to verse 14. And this is the law of the meat offerings. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord, before the altar. He, the son of Aaron, shall take it of his handful of the flour of the meat offering and of the oil thereof and all the frankincense which is upon the meat offering and shall burn it upon the altar for a, for a sweet savor. Folks, this is the first time barbecue happens. Like this, there's literally, I think they're talking about Kansas City rub on the barbecue. I feel like we should try a frankincense Kansas City style barbecue rub. And thou shalt burn it upon the altar for a sweet savor. Yeah, it's going to smell good. It's going to smell good to them. It's going to smell good to the Lord. Even the memorial of it unto the Lord. And, and then guess what was awesome about being a priest? After you slayed and cut up and offered said meat, and the remainder thereof shall Aaron and his sons eat. Burn ends. Thank you. Burn ends. With unleavened bread shall it be eaten in the holy place, in the, in the court of the tabernacle of the congregation that they shall eat it. Jump down to verse 26. And the priests that offer it for a sin shall eat it. In the holy place shall it be eaten in the court of the tabernacle of the congregation. Like yummy. Now, it's really like, it's a quite a juxtaposition. It's quite a, con- a contrast. A minute, well, a little bit ago, it was alive. Then it became a sin offering and it was super bloody. Not like a pleasant situation to think about. It was offered and it became their provision. Because the, the, the sons of Aaron, they're not working. Well, I mean, they're not working a day job. Their job is to offer up the sacrifices for people. So this is literally their provision. So this courtyard, I don't know if they had picnic tables, but it feels like a good place for a picnic table because that's where they're going to eat. And some renderings, some drawings, and some perspectives that you'll see from the court actually have tables along the side where the priests would consume their sustenance, their provision. I don't know if you've ever, if you've known that about the offerings, but the offerings served multiple purpose. They were provision and this area was a a place of provision. Now it was not a picnic table in the sense that they were throwing um, uh, cornhole or washers and they were playing croquet because it wasn't a picnic Like it was very solemn, but it was their provision for sure. It also allows connection. Now, this is is just beautiful, I think. I mean, we sing about the courts of the Lord a lot, but this is what they're talking about, whether it's the court of the tabernacle or the court of the temple. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth, crieth out for the living God. In Psalm 84, 2. And then in verse 10, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Like what a contrast. He's literally, the psalmist is literally saying, I would rather be in the midst of the sacrifice. I would rather be at the door of the tabernacle, bringing in the sacrifices, dwelling with and executing the sacrifices, performing the, uh, the, the, 
the, the sacrifice on the altar and consuming it. That is a place of provision. It's a place of connection with the Lord. He would rather do that than to dwell in the tents of wickedness, which some of the tents around the tabernacle were tents of wickedness because they had people in them, <laughs> right? By definition, even in Psalm 96, eight, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. This is a defined space for a reason. This is where the, the blood is offered in the Holy of Holies, okay? In the Holy Place, the holy, uh, in the holy place right? But, the, but this is where the sacrifice happens. This is where the death happens. This is where the provision happens. And it's a beautiful picture of Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of communion, actually, right? This is where things are made right in order to enter in and provide the sacrifice on the mercy, at the mercy seat. So it, it indicates completion. It re- represents provision and allows connection. So our first building lesson of the day, special things happen in his court. Be a part of it. Be a part of it. Lean in. I'm going to touch on this a few more times, but there was a passiveness about sacrifice by most of the children of Israel. What did they do? They had to bring the offering to the, to the gate, to the door of the court, and say, here, priest, here is my offering. And then they would take it in, the courts would close, and now I'm done. I'm done. And we're going to talk about the faith provision, uh, uh, paradigm that that creates. But now I just, I go. I'm done. The magic, if you will, happens in the court. The magic happens with the priests, with those that are involved in ministry. So special things happen in his courts. Be a part of it. Now, this court creates an interesting barrier, an interesting barrier. Now, the five cubits would be about seven and a half feet tall. So I'm assuming that this is probably about seven and a half feet close. This, it's higher than this, I imagine. I don't know how tall I, that's more than a, that, so I'm five, nine, five, eight, five, nine. So that's probably a, a foot, maybe. So it'd be maybe up to that level. What's the key here? No, no regular sized person can see over that. It's high enough to create a barrier of privacy. Now, it's not it's clearly not soundproof. I mean, we've done a lot of work here, and you can still hear Adele just over there chapping, just blah, 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 blah. No, I'm just kidding. But, like, we've done a lot, and we're continuing to work on this. I think it's pretty cool. They've got the pillar uh, nicely done now. I mean, we're, we're chipping away at these things. We're still trying to get the city to approve our sprinklers so we can feel Like, we've put a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy. This is literally a, a heavy sheet that is hanging between these fence posts, hanging down, that's seven and a half feet down, seven and a half feet wide about. So it's not keeping out the sound of cattle being slaughtered, but it is not visible. It is not visible. And I can only imagine kids at some point approaching or getting close to the to the tabernacle and at some point saying, mommy, daddy, what, what happens? What goes on on the inside of the tabernacle? 
Well, let me tell you, son, an animal is dying for your sins so that you can have a right relationship with God. Something has to die in order for you to have communion with God. Like, it's a beautiful picture. Like, we weren't there when Jesus died. It's a beautiful picture that we just have to trust that process. It hides the sacrifice. In Leviticus 1, if you're there, you know, you can look at it on the screen or, or, or what have you. But speak unto the children of Israel, say unto them, if any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. And his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd. Let him offer a male without blemish. How shall he do it? Colon. How shall he do it? He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. The average person, the average man, the average head of household would just bring the cattle to the door. And then they were done. They were done. The sacrifice process was not visible to the, to the offerer. And now this creates a paradigm of faith. This creates a paradigm of faith. I just said a moment ago, we weren't there when Jesus died. Do you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus died on a cross? Well, I take it by faith. I take it because it's recorded in the word. I wasn't there. I didn't see it with my own eyes. I haven't heard it handed down from generation to generation. generation. I take it on faith that the record of the word of God is true. Just like when I hand over my sacrifice and the priest takes it in and slits its throat and applies the blood to the altar and, and, and that, that sacrifice is consumed, like I've got to trust the priest did that. I'm not part of that. We don't get the right. We didn't, or let me set my sentence over. We didn't have the opportunity to go to the cross with Christ. Very few folks did. Very, even, even the disciples, very like John, right? I mean, Mary went because it was her, her son. Very few folks were eyewitness to the cross, to the sacrifice. We have to take it on faith. This creates both a, a measure of appropriateness for kids, but also a paradigm of faith that what happened was not visible to our eye, but we trust the process. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that we walk by faith, not by sight. John 2, 29, Jesus is talking to Thomas and he's, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and have yet believed. Like I didn't get a chance to see the resurrected Jesus, but I believe in him. Arguably, I have more faith than Thomas. Arguably, because it's something that has completely been unseen to me and simply recorded in scripture that I choose to, to accept on faith. Hebrews 11, one defines it extremely well. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. This is the definition of the faith paradigm. The sacrifice goes behind the curtain and you have to trust that it's taking care of your sins. 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are, which are not seen are eternal. 
Once that sacrifice goes behind that curtain, it becomes eternal. I don't have a part in it anymore as the offerer, okay? Now, I just spoke a minute ago, hey, get in the courtyard, right? Now, I know that sounds like an interesting paradigm, but for a faith proposition of salvation, you just have to trust. Once you're saved, get in the courtyard and serve. And it's, I hate to say it this way, it's a bloody mess. Ministry it can be very, very difficult. It can be very inconvenient. It can be very, uh, I'll just use the word grotesque. I don't know how else to say it. But oh, the result of the sacrifice, it's sweet smelling and it's a provision. It's a provision. So our second building lesson as we wrap up, turn over your offering and trust the process. Turn over. So there's another application here to the believer. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to touch on it. When you give to this ministry, you have completed what is asked of you. You are done. If the Lord has called you to, to tithe at this place, you're a member of this church, and, and, and you, you know, you, you, we, we suggest tithing as, a, as a, a place, a starting of giving, you give to this place, or, or maybe it's even a, a sacrificial offering that you give, a sacrificial gift. Once you click enter or whatever, if you're doing it on the web, or once you drop it in the little magic bag where I still feel like some usher's going to pull a bunny out. I just, every time I see it, I'm like, pull out a bunny, pull out a bunny. That'd be so cool. You guys are with me, right? You know what I mean? Like when it hands a pot, it's like, I'm going to pull out, oh, you know, you know, like a thousand handkerchiefs or whatever, right? Uh, has anybody seen that key and peel where the officer... There's like an officer arresting one, you know, I'm probably going off, off script here, but he's, and he keeps, he like, what's this? And he pulls like drugs out of his trunk. He's like, you planted that. And he's like, did I? Or, and he turns it into flowers. He's like, or is it flowers? And then he's like, he reaches over here and he's, he pulls out a gun. And he's like, and then it's a bird. And he turns it, and it's, it's this it's funny juxtaposition of, <laughs> of the magic of, of, a, of a police officer. But anyway, yeah, yeah. It's funny, but what was I saying? Oh, once you put that offering, once you put that offering in, you click enter on the, the, the transaction on the website or whether you put it in the box. Don't put your mail in there, but you put it in the box. You put it in the offering. Your faith proposition is done. You've been, you have been obedient. I was part of a church where one of the pastors stole money, embezzled money. Did that change my faith paradigm? No. The fact that somebody else mismanaged it was not my problem. I gave it to the Lord. Now, I am in no way, shape, or form excusing that activity. I'm saying as a member of the church, I was faithful and the rest was up to God. When you give to the Lord, 
Just give it and trust the process. Trust the accountability. Trust the law enforcement if necessary. Trust the, the structure. And I can, t- I can stand before you today and tell you we have good accountability measures at our church. We have, like, if anybody is stealing money here, it's a big collusion. Like, there's a lot of folks involved in keeping it quiet, which is a very, very hard thing to do. Or it's very small amounts. Very small amounts. Because we have good receipt processes, we have good accounting processes, we, we make sure that things are right. But even if we didn't, your job is to offer it and be done and, and just trust the process. You're getting the, the, you're fulfilling your role in your relationship with the Lord by giving it. Turn, it over, turn over your offering and trust the process. And then we'll close with, with Psalm 104. Very common songs are written. Enter, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Like, I hope you think of this verse a little different because the way you enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise is with a sacrifice. It's with a sacrifice. And we get the wonderful privilege of that sacrifice being of praise, of our lives, and we don't have to bring a cow. We don't have to have raised a sheep. We don't have to go buy some, uh, some animal for the purpose of giving it to the Lord, right? We get the opportunity to give him, give him our life. And it's a beautiful thing. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for...